Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. One doesn't know why. Perhaps it's his luxuriant beard, or his gleaming teeth, or the way he smells faintly of coconuts. But we have taken a shine to this pirate. Do you have a name, Pirate Captain? They call me the Pirate Captain. Well, Pirate Captain. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 192, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, or if you're in the US, Australia and New Zealand, The Pirates Band Misfits. This is a podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, welcome back if you're a regular returning listener. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining this crew. I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy and booty of the pirates in an adventure with scientists. Full disclosure, I am going to be referring to the movie with its UK title primarily, unless I'm talking about the name change, or I might just call it the pirates. Actually, that might be a bit easier. But obviously, I am going to be talking about the name change, but I'm going to do that a little bit later. Genuinely, I'm so happy to have you here because I love this movie so much and it's been on my list for so long and I'm so happy to be able to bring you an episode on the pirates in an adventure with scientists slash the pirates band of misfits. This episode is the seventh episode of animation season 2023. It follows episodes on The Nightmare Before Christmas, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Inside Out, South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. The Emperor's New Groove and Perfect Blue. Obviously, huge thank you if you have listened to all or any of those episodes. But all of those episodes, I've kind of gone into the reasons why I'm doing an animation season. So I'm going to do it again, because if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, you might be wondering, well, why is she doing animation season? What is animation season? Well, it is a season generally over the months of January and February, 
they are like to focus purely on animation. And by that, I mean different types of animation. I don't just like to look at Disney and Pixar, although I do obviously cover Disney and Pixar, but I like to look at hand-drawn animation. I like to look at CG animation and I love stop-motion animation. It is one of my favourite things in the entire world. And again, it's one of the many reasons why I'm so excited to bring you this episode. But for me, whenever I talk about animated movies, especially to general kind of public, people who aren't really kind of into films or not really into the general discourse around films, they do tend to dismiss animation as, oh, that's a movie for my kids or that's a kid's movie. Animation is not just for children. Perfect Blue, which was the episode that I did previously, is a perfect example of a movie that is animated, definitely not for children. Animation is literally a medium, any genre, any type of movie. And this is another reason why I like to do animation season, because animation is not a genre. Streaming services like to lump animation as a genre when you're searching on your service, when you're looking for something to watch you'll tend to find that animated movies are clumped together in a section called animation. And then you have a section for comedy. And then you have a section for science fiction. Animation can be comedic, can be science fiction, it can be dramatic. Animation is not a genre. It's really annoying. Why do they do it? I know why they do it. Because they like to obviously group all their animated material together. But it doesn't actually help anyone looking for a science fiction movie they miss the animated science fiction movies because they're not in the science fiction section. And obviously, they think that animated movies are for kids. So they're not going to look in the animated section either. So one of the things that I really want to try and do, anyone who listens to this podcast, I really want to try and get out there the message that animation is not just for children and also animation is not a genre. Those two things are really, really important. They are literally the mantras by which Verbal Diorama is built upon. And I don't just cover animation on this podcast, but it is one of my favourite things to talk about. And I really do think it's important, especially for movies like this, because we could not get a live action version of The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists. It just would not work. Animation is the only way this movie can be depicted. It's another reason why I love this movie so much. And obviously when I say that animation is not just for children, obviously the Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists is for everybody. It's for children, it's for adults. And in fact, the beauty of Aardman is that there are plenty of jokes for everyone to enjoy. You get the kids' jokes, the adult jokes as well. And with Pirates, I think you'd get a little bit extra because you get the booty jokes. And who doesn't love a good joke about booty? Additionally, and this is just something that came to me when I was re-watching this movie for this episode, because I'd not seen this movie for a good maybe five years or so. And if you've recently seen the TV series Our Flag Means Death, you'll find a lot to love in The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists because they are very tonally similar. So if you've not seen The Pirates, obviously, please go and watch the movie and then come back to the episode. But if you've not seen Our Flag Means Death, and you love the Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists, I would highly recommend you check out Our Flag Means Death. It's a great show. Very funny, but also kind of a little bit similar to this, in a way. I don't know I said that they couldn't make a live-action version of the Pirates, but Our Flag Means Death is probably the closest. That doesn't mean they're comparable, really, in that respect. 
but it's a worthwhile suggestion if you are looking for something to watch on TV. It's available actually on BBC iPlayer at the moment here in the UK if you are interested. But anyway, without further ado, here's the trailer for the pirates in an adventure with scientists. Throughout history, legend has told of a pirate captain, the terror of the seas. Do you have a name, pirate captain? They call me the pirate captain. Extra gruesome! Extra gruesome! Let's go plundering! He's got the crew. Ah, sure, some of you are just fish I've dressed up in a hat. But you're still the best crew a captain could wish for. He's got the pirates. Polly, the heart and soul of the boat. She's like an auntie. With a bait. And he's got the moves. I'm the pirate captain. And I'm here for your gold. I haven't got any gold. Then what is this? It's a baboon's kidney. But there's one thing. This is the big one. He hasn't got your entry pirate of the year. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, yes. This can only end brilliantly. You'll see. I will be pirate of the year. And then you'll be laughing on the other side of your faces. And believe me, that is a very painful thing to do. From Ardman, creators of Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit and Sony Pictures Animation. That bird! My parrot? She's the scientific discovery of our age! Here's the plan. We go to London, we get a huge pile of booty, I enter Pirate of the Year, I win! Bingo! But it's impossible odds! It's only impossible if you stop to think about it. Comes a film with action. Adventure. I haven't seen you since that business in Madagascar. Ah, yes. I got a sworn they were girls. And luxuriant beards. Evening, Captain. Get ready. Sorry for the pirates. An actual pirate? A pirate. Nobody here but us girl guides. In an adventure. Well, this is my crew. With scientists? Uh, yes, yes, I am using crew in the street sense. You. The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. By Jove. Makes other films look like complete pants. In 1837, the pirate captain, unskilled in the ways of pirates, leads a close-knit, ragtag group of amateur pirates who are trying to make a name for themselves on the high seas. To prove himself and his crew, the pirate captain enters the Pirate of the Year competition with the winner being whoever can plunder the most booty. They happen upon Charles Darwin on his boat, the Beagle, and Darwin recognises the pirate captain's faithful parrot, Polly, is actually the last living dodo. He persuades the pirate captain, now the scientist captain, to enter Polly into the Royal Society Prize for Best Scientific Discovery. The pirate captain wins first prize, but in doing so, accidentally outs himself to Queen Victoria as a pirate, and Queen Victoria hates pirates. She hates them. She really, really hates them. Let's quickly run through the cast. We have Hugh Grant as the pirate captain, Martin Freeman as number two, aka the pirate with the skull, Imelda Staunton as Queen Victoria, David Tennant as Charles Darwin, Jeremy Piven as Black Bellamy, Salma Hayek as Cutlass Liz, Lenny Henry as Pegleg Hastings, Brian Blessed as the Pirate King, 
Russell Tovey as Albino Pirate. The character is played by Anton Yelchin in the US version. Brendan Gleeson as Pirate with Gout. Ashley Jensen as Surprisingly Curvaceous Pirate. And Ben Whitehead as Pirate Who Likes Sunset and Kittens. This role is played by Al Roker in the US version. The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists has a screenplay by Gideon Defoe, was based on The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists, also by Gideon Defoe, and was directed by Peter Lord and co-directed by Jeff Newitt. I'll be honest with you, full disclosure, this is not the only Ardman rodeo this animation season. In fact, the next episode is also an Ardman movie. More on that a little bit later, but Ardman are one of those British institutions that we here in the UK just knew. We grew up with Creature Comforts, the TV ads, the first Ardman production to win an Academy Award. We grew up with character Maul, Douglas, the trombone playing character in the Lurpak ads. Anyone who's British will know who Douglas, the trombone player, is. Of course, Wallace and Gromit, Peter Gabriel. Knew them for animating his Sledgehammer music video. That's maybe who everywhere else in the world predominantly knows them for. From Ardman's founding in 1972 through to 1995, Ardman had what some might call a meteoric rise with three Best Animated Short Film Academy Awards. This led to a deal in 1997 between Ardman and DreamWorks to co-finance and distribute Chicken Run. Listen to my episode on Chicken Run. It's episode 78. For more information on that, but the DreamWorks deal worth $250 million and for four further films over 12 years would result in Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit and Flushed Away. Flushed Away would be Ardman's first completely CG animated film. Shortly after the release of Flushed Away, DreamWorks and Ardman ended their agreement in January 2007. A spokesperson said it was amicable. However, there were rumours that DreamWorks were unhappy at the US box office for Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, and especially for Flushed Away. The Curse of the Were-Rabbit did much better internationally than it did domestically in the US, but Flushed Away disappointed everywhere, bringing in only $178 million on its $149 million budget. Ardman were reportedly unhappy with DreamWorks controlling behaviour and this was something that I spoke about in length in that episode that I did on Chicken Run. Mr Jeffrey Katzenberg exerting his creative control multiple times on that one. The end of their creative partnership meant that the next planned movie, which was called Crude Awakening, would remain under the control of DreamWorks. That would be released as The Crudes in 2013. Ardman's own Stone Age themed story, Early Man, would be released in 2018. So back to 2007. So obviously this agreement ended in January 2007. And a few months later, in April of the same year, Ardman signed a three-year deal with Sony Pictures. And this resulted in the sublime after Christmas in 2011. That's episode 27 of this podcast. And it's such a wonderful movie. It was Ardman's second completely CG movie as well. Please don't let that put you off. If it is going to put you off, it is so magical. It was also Ardman's first 3D feature film. One year after Arthur Christmas, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists was released, the second film in the deal with Sony. And not only was The Pirates going back to Ardman's stop-motion roots, which they hadn't done since Curse of the Were-Rabbit back in 2005, it was also released in 3D. And The Pirates was a huge undertaking for the team at Ardman. Not only were they working on Arthur Christmas and the Pirates concurrently, 
Curse of the Were-Rabbit had been its biggest production up to that point. Curse of the Were-Rabbit had 28 sets and 200 people working on the movie. The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists had 41 sets and over 320 people working for five years. The Pirates was a film of a lot of firsts for Aardman. It was the first stop-motion film for which they employed previous to set up their scenes and guide the floor, with a team of over 100 VFX artists in Bristol working on the 1,500-plus scenes in the movie. It's the first time they managed their visual effects in-house as well, and every scene has some sort of visual effect. Some are completely computer-generated, while some include additional characters or buildings mixed in with what was originally shot on set. The Pirates was made in the same 30,000-foot warehouse Chicken Run had been made in, and it looks like a normal industrial warehouse on the outskirts of Bristol on the outside, but inside is literally full of everything that Aardman needs to make a movie, model making, set design, art, visual effects, and of course, absolutely massive sets. But I'm ahead of myself a little bit here, because the story always has to start with a story. And that story was written by Gideon Defoe. And Gideon Defoe, he graduated with a degree in archaeology and anthropology from Oxford University. He was making ends meet with a series of minimum wage temp jobs. And obviously, as a young man, he was quite interested in chatting up girls. He started writing a book. He thought to himself, I know what will impress a girl. It's not going to be my temp job. It's going to be that I'm writing a book. So he told the girl that he fancied that he was an author. And to basically prove it, he followed through and he finished the book. The book was called The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. And this was first published in 2004. It was about the adventures of a pirate captain. The pirate captain and his ragtag crew of unorthodox pirates. Needless to say, and unfortunately for him, a book about pirates didn't impress that girl. It would have impressed me, I'll be honest. Any guy who wants to tell me they're writing a book, I will be immediately impressed by that. But it did impress Claire Patterson. She was the UK agent of American literary agent Janklo and Nesbitt, as she was told about the pirates by the journalist Caitlin Moran, who'd heard about the book on a message board. After meeting Gideon Defoe, Patterson agreed to take on Defoe as a client, requested revisions to his manuscript, and sent the revised manuscript to Helen Garland Williams, editorial director of Weedenfeld and Nicholson, basically an imprint of Orion Publishers. They agreed to buy the book for £40,000 in August 2003. The same day as the deal went through, Defoe gave notice at his 10th PA job at Westminster Council. Defoe would write five books based on the pirates. Following In an Adventure with Scientists, there was The Pirates in an Adventure with Whaling in 2005, the Pirates in an Adventure with Communists in 2006, The Pirates in an Adventure with Napoleon in 2008, and The Pirates in an Adventure with the Romantics in 2012. And it was Ardman co-founder Peter Lord who stumbled upon the first book and cemented a long gestating idea to bring stop-motion pirates to the big screen. After an initial idea based on Captain Pugwash was pitched to DreamWorks and rejected for not being family-friendly enough because... Disney made no money on Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Duh. Gideon Defoe's stories resonated with Peter Lord and made him belly laugh. Unlike their time with DreamWorks and the ever-present threat of a visit from Jeffrey Katzenberg, there was a sense of clear creative control with their partnership with Sony from the outset. And that started with getting Gideon Defoe on board to write the screenplay 
four, the movie based on The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. And it was a consistently strong and mutually beneficial relationship. Ardman knew the industry and Defoe knew the characters. While plots and characters were taken from several of the Pirates books, Defoe's involvement was key to retaining the spirit of the original stories. Once the script was in place, most of the character designs were done by illustrator Johnny Duddle, who had written and illustrated a picture book called Pirate Cruncher. From Duddle's designs, model makers sculpted clay characters to help design silicon moulds for foam latex puppets around a metal armature. Rather than have dozens of different puppet heads, as one of the stop-motion movies, the pirates used a rapid prototype 3D printing system to make individual mouths that could be clipped each head. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. And because you have the luxury of multiple puppets, using Pirate Captain as another example, there were 25 different puppet versions of the Pirate Captain. And so they could shoot the Pirate Captain simultaneously on several different sets. The movie could have up to 40 separate units, which is a key difference between animation and live action. Each puppet comes with bespoke clothing, which is all part of the puppet, so each costume change also requires a new puppet. Pirate Captain also has real gold leaf on his puppet to make sure the gold colour is the right colour. And as I mentioned, this movie was the first stop-motion film Ardman used previs for. They would start with the storyboard animatic, match it, and then make any necessary adjustments to the angles and staging for bouncing the sequences between previs and edit and occasionally back to storyboard. On this movie too, previs turned into a creative tool. The filmmakers would ask edits to existing shots, as well as completely new ones that could be built up in the software using various effects from other parts of the sequence. After the previous sequence had been approved, the floor would use the information as a guide to position characters and cameras before the floor animators got to work. Green screen was heavily utilised during filming, not only for the obvious CG features like the water, but also to help with shooting multiple elements of the same shot, like the foreground and background characters, which could be subsequently re-synced in the edit. Not only were the puppets themselves huge and expensive, they cost between 10 and 14,000 pounds each. The pirate ship was actually so big it didn't completely fit in the studio. It was two-thirds built and wide shots were completed with CG. It sat on a gimbal to give it movement that it would have had at sea. It consisted of real rigging with aluminium wire running through the ropes for strength. It was completely handcrafted. It was made up of 44,569 parts. It took 5,000 hours of development and ended up weighing 770 pounds. This ship, by the way, 14 feet long and 20 feet high. The pirate captain's luxuriant beard, let's be honest, it is luxuriant, also posed particularly tricky problems for animators. As originally, when the puppet was talking, the beard would move. But once he stopped talking, the beard would also stop moving. And obviously, if you have a particularly long, luxuriant beard, the beard will move naturally with your face. But if you're a puppet, the beard doesn't move with your face. So it looked like the beard had no natural weight. So they came up with a mechanism to allow the beard to naturally keep moving. And what they did was they tested several different things. And what worked was a tuning head from a guitar. And what that does is the beard can be moved using an Allen key, basically in an up and down motion to look as if the beard is moving naturally. And because these puppets were constantly handled and moved, puppet maintenance was a real necessity with resprays and rebuilds needed to keep the stock replenished. All of the puppets had numbers, 
And so puppet maintenance always knew which particular pirate captain needed to be on set, which particular pirate captain was suitable for particular scenes. It sounds like a logistical nightmare, to be honest, but the team at Aardman are so skilled and so natural. This is what they do. And honestly, it blows my mind whenever I look into how Aardman make a movie, how anyone makes a movie just generally, but especially a stop motion movie where you've got physical, tangible puppets that you can mold and move. And it makes total sense that some puppets would be more suited to some areas than other puppets. The sets were filled with more than 220,000 background, key and animatable items made by Aardman specifically. They had an expert glassblower on set, Kim George, who crafted a variety of bottles, lamps and glasses, especially made for the movie. Every one of these tiny bottles and lamps was built to order. And because we all love statistics, don't we? I love statistics on movies like this. So I mentioned earlier about lips and mouths for puppets. So more than 6,800 puppet lips were made, including 1,364 for the pirate captain alone and 257 mouth shapes to represent his speech and reaction. But that's not all, because each mouth's teeth and tongue were developed on the computer before being printed out using the 3D rapid prototyping printer. Every mouth was pre-posed in a configuration that corresponds to the most common vowels, and the guy responsible for creating the corresponding mouth movements and lip syncing was Chris Stock, and he would take the WAV audio, similar to what I do for this podcast, but a lot more technical, may I add. And he would listen to each line of dialogue and mark down the corresponding phonetic shape that the lips had to make in that moment. Again, absolutely mind-blowing that there is a person responsible for the mouth movements of a puppet. And then the animator would take the specific mouth movement for that specific frame, attach it to the puppet, take the shot. In many instances, it would be several frames with that mouth movement and then take that mouth off, replace it with a different mouth. This is precision stuff. This is why Aardman are genuinely one of the best in the stop motion business. And the title, I said I would come back to it. So why does the movie have a sort of similar but ultimately very different name in different parts of the world? The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists is what it's called here in the UK. And it's called the Pirates Band of Misfits elsewhere in the English speaking world. There were a couple of reasons for this, the main one being the source material. Gideon Defoe's book series was called The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists, but it hadn't sold as well in the US, but it was a success here in the UK. It had a notable following here. It made sense to capitalise on that following here in the UK, but not so much abroad. There were allegedly other reasons too. The first being the length of the title. So it was a lengthy title, The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. Try saying that multiple times really fast. It was felt the length wouldn't sit well with the US market specifically. According to the pirate captain himself, Hugh Grant, who's so charming and wonderful in this movie. The director, Peter Lord, he would state on Twitter that some people reckoned the UK title wouldn't charm slash amuse slash work in the US. That was a tweet he put out in 2012. He did add, though, it was tricky to prove because... Who knows whether a title is going to resonate or not. Other theories were put forward by the BBC's Quentin Cooper. One of them is that the British public is more understanding of Aardman's particular eccentricities. Another reason is that the movie's creators did not want to confront American viewers 
to reject the idea of evolution, despite Charles Darwin himself being the theorist behind most of what we know about evolution. Darwin, though, never referred to himself as a scientist, but as a naturalist. Cooper cited science writer Jennifer Ouellette's 2010 statement at the Science and Entertainment Exchange that, quote, the mad scientist or the dweeby geek dress funny, have no social skills, play video games, long for unattainable women, unquote, are stereotypes of scientists in American pop culture. Movies, ostensibly about real-life scientists, I'm thinking movies like Hidden Figures, The Theory of Everything, The Imitation Game, A Beautiful Mind, the titles never actually mention science. So it seems that despite science teaching us valuable things about us, the natural world, the solar system, evolution, gravity, and everything else, scientists still aren't cool enough to be on a movie poster in Hollywood. But someone who does believe in science, and is cool enough to be on a movie poster, is Keanu Reeves. It was the perfect segue, if I do so so myself, into the obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. And if you don't know what that is, it's where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves, for no reason other than he is literally the pirate captain of my dreams. So it turns out, from a video that I found of Keanu at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, that he actually got into his love of motorcycles through his love of pirates. Because when he was a kid, he wanted to be a pirate. And when he saw a local motorcycle gang, he thought that they looked like pirates. So in his very young, childlike brain, he put that motorcycles must mean pirates. He basically got into bikes through his love of pirates. Which, to be honest, it's a really good obligatory Keanu reference, I'll be honest. The music in this movie is Theodore Shapiro. He'd never previously scored an animated movie. And the soundtrack for this movie has so many great songs. So many great songs by great artists. You've got Swords of a Thousand Men by Temple Tudor. Ranking Full Stop by The Beat, Fiesta by The Pogues, London Calling by The Clash, and Get It If You Really Want by Jimmy Cliff, and my personal favourite, because it's also in Clueless, All Right by Supergrass. First trailer for The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists, or The Pirates Band of Misfits, whatever you want to call it, was released. It did receive a negative reaction from members of the leprosy community. So, in the movie, the pirates board a play boat. But in the original trailer, and originally in the movie, this was going to be a leper boat. With the line being, gold, afraid we don't have any gold, old man, this is a leper boat. And his left arm then falls off, and he says, see. And this was deemed to be insensitive and derogatory towards members of the leprosy community, reinforcing negative stereotypes and stigma against leprosy sufferers. And this was highlighted by Lepra Health and Fiction. On the feedback, Ardman immediately changed the scene in the trailer and they also changed the scene in the movie to become a plague boat and apologised for any offence caused. So the line was changed to gold. This is a plague boat, old man. I'd give my right arm for some gold. And then his left arm falls off and he adds, or my left. And it is one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie. When The Pirates and an Adventure with Scientists was released on the 27th of April 2012, it would be up against some serious competition, mostly in the form of The Hunger Games, which was still in the top three after six weeks. The Pirates would debut fifth after Think Like a Man, The Five-Year Engagement, The Hunger Games and The Lucky One. 
Unfortunately for this movie, the week after the Pirates debuted, a little movie you'd probably never heard of called The Avengers came out. And Earth's Mightiest Heroes obliterated the competition at the box office and the Pirates slowly trickled out of the top 10 in its fifth week. On a $55 million budget, Pirates in an adventure with scientists would go on to gross $31 million domestically in the US, $92 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $123 million. $12.3 million, so 10% of its takings were in the UK alone. This makes it still the fourth highest grossing stop-motion animated film of all time, after Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit and Coraline. It would also be nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 85th Academy Awards, but it would lose out to Pixar's Brave. And it was a competitive year as well. Also nominated were Paranorman, which is obviously a stop-motion movie by Laika, Wreck-It Ralph as well, and Frankenweenie. It was controversially overlooked by the BAFTAs for nomination, but it would be nominated for five Annie Awards. Unfortunately, the Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists wouldn't win anything. By August 2011, Aardman were already working on a sequel idea, and by June 2012, a story had been prepared, and they were basically awaiting the green light from Sony to go ahead with the sequel. Eventually, though, Sony decided to not support the project due to insufficient international earnings. According to Peter Lord, it got close, but not quite close enough. They even made up a poster for the movie. It was going to be called The Pirates in Adventure with Cowboys. David Sproxton would say to The Hollywood Reporter, quote, With Pirates, which is incredibly British, they thought it was going to be a Shrek and set these incredibly high expectations. And then, my God, it's a failure. You've only done $120 million. That's the Hollywood machine. If it hasn't done half a billion dollars by the end of its run worldwide, you've failed, unquote. And it's disappointing, really, because I would love to see the pirates in an adventure with cowboys. Wouldn't you love to see that? I definitely would. Move on to some social media thoughts. Now, there's not very many for this movie, and I think that the reason why there's not very many is probably the reason why this movie didn't do as well as people thought it would because I think this movie is incredibly underrated personally but we do have some comments from the patrons and we are going to start with perennial commenter Andy and Andy says how in the name of god is this the first time that Hugh Grant lending his lovably awkward voice to an animated film it works perfectly in this stop-motion extravaganza from the geniuses at Arden it's been far too long since I've seen this movie and I'm sure I will enjoy it even more, having seen Our Flag Means Death, which, if we're honest, is really just a more adult live-action version. I mean, I, I don't disagree, <laughs> obviously, because I said the same before I picked up the comments from Patreon. <laughs> so, great minds think alike in that regard, Andy. But, as always, I am going to give Andy a little plug for his podcast. It is called Geek Salad, and they basically cover everything and anything to do with geek culture, Movies, music, TV shows, games, anything and everything. I'll put information in the show notes. Please have a listen to Geek Salad if you have not already. We have another patron comment from Brett who says, This is a hidden gem in Ardman's excellent library of films. It's not talked about enough and it should be because it's got a fun voice cast, beautiful visuals, and it's about pirates. Again, I can't agree enough. It's not talked about enough and it is absolutely brilliant and it's stunning. 
And Brett also has his own podcast. It's called The Sex Film. And like Ron Seal, very British reference there for you. It does exactly what it says on the tin. They dissect that film. And not just films either. They do movie retrospectives, new releases. They also discuss some TV shows there as well. I'll put some information in the show notes for Dissect That Film too. And the final Patreon comment comes from lovely, lovely Scott, who's not done a Patreon comment for some time, but I do recall speaking to Scott months and months ago about this movie specifically. We had a little conversation on WhatsApp and I said to Scott, it's going to come to the podcast eventually. And I'm not suggesting that I did this movie for Scott specifically, but I know he loves this movie. And obviously he found out that it was coming and he was like, I need to comment on this movie. So Scott says, I was sold on Pirates right from the release of the first trailer, which if you've not seen it is drunken sailor themed delight. But the film itself is an utter joy. It predates Paddington 2 in showing just how fun Hugh Grant is when he gets to have a blast. As you'd expect from classic Hardman, it's chock full of sight gags, one-liners and wonderful animation. Such a shame they abandoned the idea of a sequel with the series of books to mine for further instalments. Some of you may like it, some of you may not. Some of you may just be a fish dressed in a hat, but I absolutely loved it. In fact, I might organise ham night and watch it again. So Scott does have his own podcast too. Unfortunately, it's been a little bit dormant for a little while, but I'll mention it anyway. So it's called Monkey See Monkey Review and it's basically Scott and a lovely group of lads just discussing films and what they love about movies. I have spoken to Scott and I have asked him a couple of times, is Monkey See Monkey Review coming back? And to be honest, I think he's a little bit busy with other things at the minute, but they do have a back catalogue. It is out there. So I'll put some information in the show notes for Monkey See Monkey Review anyway. Let's move over to Twitter. Not very many comments on Twitter, but it's always about quality, not quantity. So we're going to start with at nerdstalgic underscore pod, who said, I prefer the original name. It runs off the tongue better. And why not pod said, A wonderfully fun and likeable film with a fantastic cast and characters recaptured a lot of that Ardman magic that was missing for me in the still enjoyable flushed away. And finally, at Richie F6 said, Enjoyable movie. Feel like it slips under the radar a little, this one. Always happy to revisit it. And there's no comments on Instagram or Facebook. So, thank you to everyone for their comments on the Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists slash Band of Misfits. If you want your comments read out in episodes two, you can comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media, normally on a Friday. Now they go up. They're normally up for about 24 hours comment on the movie and I will read your comment out in the episode but as always huge thank you everyone for your comments on this movie so this movie is the fourth highest grossing stop motion animated movie in the world so how and why does it feel so underappreciated and underseen and undervalued just like it's Sony animation stablemate Arthur Christmas this movie feels like it should have been huge. At least Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit huge. Because this is Altman at the height of their skill, implementing their own CG, blending it seamlessly with their trademark stop motion. This is a movie that looks beautiful, it's funny, the cast is amazing, it's got heart and soul, it feels creative and different. 
despite it being based on a series of books and despite pirates being literally everywhere at the cinema from the mid-2000s onwards. This film was the final in the agreement with Sony and I always wonder if maybe both parties were a little hasty by pulling out because the two movies they did make together were absolute gems. Possibly not marketed quite correctly for some bizarre reason because they just didn't resonate with audiences. Or maybe audiences just didn't connect. Maybe Pirates and Charles Darwin and Queen Victoria and Dodos and Science was just a bit too much for people to connect with. Maybe it was too stylized, too wacky. Not enough Wensleydale, Yorkshire or Mrs. Tweedy's Farm as a setting. I have no idea, genuinely, because this movie is great. I adore it. I might always think it's Hugh Jackman as the pirate captain. And maybe in some weird Mandela effect, he was the voice at one point, but then some other Hugh took it over in a parallel universe. And now it's Grant instead of Jackman. But seriously, Hugh Grant, not Jackman, is so great in this role. We forget that he's such a great comedian who loves to send up his own image. He's a great comedian and he's really genuinely very funny. Everyone in this cast is basically on their absolute A-game, too. It feels with this movie specifically that Ardman was trying to do something big and bold and different. And it's quite sad that it didn't pan out like they'd hoped. There was huge ambition here, bigger than anything else they'd done before. And I would have loved to have seen a sequel. And we should be encouraging studios to take risks, because this feels like a risk. And while I still think that it ends a little too abruptly, maybe that's because I could happily take another five, ten minutes more of this movie. It does sit at the golden sub-90 minute runtime though, and maybe that was done on purpose. This is a movie that never outstays its welcome. It's so beautifully animated as you would expect. It's so blisteringly funny. There's so many Easter eggs in this movie as well for other Aardman characters. The signs on the shops, the things going on in the background. It's chef's kiss it's so wonderfully done and nothing Ardman have done before or after feels quite like this and with another chicken run movie coming out later this year and another Wallace and Gromit movie in 2024 it seems like Ardman are very sticking to their franchises for the time being which is kind of a little bit disappointing I am curious though what the untitled Gorinda Chadder film could be that's on their upcoming films list on Wikipedia because knowing Gurinder Chadha, she likes to take on bold and interesting projects. So I'm really hopeful and excited that Ardman could be taking a risk. And hopefully, fingers crossed, it could be emulating this movie once again. And that's why, in a straight fight, a shark would probably be Dracula. Thanks for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on the pirates in an adventure with scientists slash the Pirates band of misfits, however you want to call it. I'm going to be titling it both on this episode so that everyone knows what I'm talking about. But hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you have enjoyed it and you want to help this podcast grow, you already are just by listening. So thank you so much. But if you want to do a little bit more, then you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can find me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, Hive, Mastodon, Post, literally everywhere now because you have to be because Twitter is Twitter. And honestly, anytime you retweet or like a post or comment on one of my posts, it really helps that post get out there and be more visible to other people. But the easiest thing you can do is tell someone. 
tell a friend, tell a family member about this podcast. Help them download a podcast app if they don't have one and help them subscribe or follow Verbal Diorama in that app. That would be incredible and I'd be so grateful. If you did like this episode on the pirates in an adventure with scientists, you might also like the following movies slash episode. I've already mentioned both, actually. Episode 27, Arthur Christmas, is honestly one of my favourite Christmas movies. It's so sweet and so lovely. It's so beautifully animated. Don't be put off by CG and Aardman together because it does work incredibly well. And it's a movie you don't need to watch at Christmas, but it feels so wonderful to watch at Christmas. And I loved covering it for the podcast. It was one of my earlier animation episodes as well. So episode 27 was my first Christmas on the podcast. And the first Christmas I covered after Christmas, because why would I not? Unfortunately, after Christmas didn't do very well in the box office. But episode 78, which is Chicken Run, obviously did incredibly well. Because it's still the highest grossing stop motion movie ever of all time and it's brilliant chicken run is honestly one of the greatest stop motion movies ever if not the greatest it's so full of british humor british colloquialisms british setting there's so much to love in chicken run and that's why it's as popular as it is because it's great and the story behind chicken run i mentioned jeffrey katzenberg he was very involved in that movie some might say a little too much but Nevertheless, Chicken Run is always going to be worth your time. As I mentioned, there is a sequel coming this year on Netflix. So that's going to be interesting to watch because it's been 23 years since we've had a Chicken Run movie. But if you're going to watch a movie, watch Chicken Run for definite. Obviously, give me feedback on my recommendations. You know what you think. And as I said earlier, we are sticking with Ardman for the next episode. Not only that... It is going to be the fourth birthday of this podcast. The birthday episodes, I tend to always say go big or go home. And I do normally three movies on three days concurrently. I've done Disney movies. I've done Studio Ghibli movies. But I wanted to keep with the Ardman theme for the fourth birthday of this podcast. And really the only place that I could go if I'm going to stick with Ardman is their most famous creations, Wallace and Gromit. But... Wallace and Gromit have only had one feature-length adventure. So what am I going to do? Am I just going to do one episode for Wallace and Gromit? No, of course I'm not. Because Wallace and Gromit had one feature-length adventure. But they also had four short films. So every day, that week of the birthday of the podcast, I'm planning to release an episode on Wallace and Gromit in order of release. So that is going to include A Grand Day Out, The Wrong Trousers, a close shave, the curse of the were-rabbit, and a matter of loaf and death. Over one week, starting on the Monday with a grand day out, finishing on the Friday with a matter of loaf and death. I'm not going to lie, it's going to be a huge task, but it's one I'm going to work really hard at. So join me next week, next Monday, actually, if you're listening to this on the release of the episode, for the first episode of Wallace and Gromit on a grand day out and then join me every day after that for more episodes on more Wallace and Gromit until we reach the end of the week and there'll be no more episodes on Wallace and Gromit but I'm so excited to talk about the history and legacy of Wallace and Gromit because animation icons how could I not and as I said earlier thank you for listening 
just by listening, you are supporting what I do. But if you do want to help financially and you want to put a little bit of money in my back pocket to help pay for expenses, equipment, subscriptions, all of the things that basically you have to pay to carry on being a podcast, then you can sign up to support the show at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And you can join some amazing patrons. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sunny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu and Brett. All of whom are surprisingly generous with their booty. So they all win Patron of the Year. Congratulations to you all. You can check out my merch store at verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can rent them. Say hi. You can do that on social media at Verbal Diorama, wherever you find your social media stuff. But you can also email me. You can go to verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also go to my website, verbaldiorama.com, and you can send me a message and you can say hi. You can also find my stuff at filmstories.co.uk. You can find copies of the magazine and also the articles that I write online as well. And finally. Hmm. Well, you're all of you wrong. The best bit about being a pirate isn't the looting or the cutlasses. It's not the grog or the scurvy or the scantily clad mermaids. The best bit about being a pirate Yes, have night! Yay! 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 You've still got it, Captain. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should talk. Critical sequels.